a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. Come on, who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 148 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As the big voice guy just said, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster and owner of Game Time Media in the Twin Cities metro area. This show is all about sportscasting and sharing stories, development tips, and career paths of other sportscasters from around the country and beyond. If you're just finding the show, make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the show with all your friends on the social media outlet of your choice. This episode is recorded from the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score podcast studio, a.k.a. the basement office of my townhome in Burnsville, Minnesota. One of the cool things about doing this podcast over the years is talking to friends I've met throughout the process and seeing the progress they've made in their careers. James Wessling is a perfect example of this. He was our guest back on episode 68, and we've been friends meeting at conferences in the industry for a long time, traded tape together, and helped each other improve. Probably he had a lot more talent to begin with, so uh, it, the fact that he has grown farther is not a surprise. But at the time that we connected first, we were both covering NAIA colleges and high school sports, doing sales, and since then, James has seen consistent growth, climbing the ladder. He's invested time, money, and sweat equity, and now he's calling games at the network level for ESPN. It's an awesome story, and again, I've talked to many people recently about what success means and sometimes coming to grips with the fact that you might not reach your initial goals and how to find fulfillment in that just because sometimes it does come down to how long can you endure or did you get a lucky break and James is a perfect example of the opposite that if you just really stick with it put your everything into it and continue to grind that success stories can and do happen and they can happen without being in a big metro area he's located out of Salina Kansas Anyway, enough of me talking about James. Let's bring him on the podcast. James Westling, welcome back to the Say the Damn Score podcast. How's it going today? I'm great, Logan. Glad to connect with you and be back on. Man, 158 episodes. That is, that's a lot of hours. That's a lot of uh, you wearing a headset and, and recording all of these. And so as a broadcaster who follows the Say the Damn Score podcast, we all I think I speak for for all of us, man. We really appreciate what you do. It is uh, it is a really cool, really unique thing. Well, that's awfully kind of you to say. But uh, a lot's happened since we had you on. When we had you on the last time, we talked a lot about covering NAIA sports and looking for those kind of rare fill-in opportunities. And since then, you have grown so much in your career. You're now under contract at ESPN, doing a whole bunch of games there. Um, you are doing, I believe, some fill-in stuff for Learfield Radio. Am I correct in that? 
Yeah, that's correct. And have also done kind of national radio games as well. Uh, Let's just go all the way back to where we were at that time and give us the kind of the high level Cliff Notes version of some of the events that had to happen for kind of this huge leap to be made. Yeah, I think that last episode that that I joined you for, I was primarily doing NAIA games. And even just uh, as recently as 2021, just basically uh, two years ago, I was still doing a lot of NAIA. So I would say that, you know, one thing that I always tried to do was each and every year add something, even if it was just one or two games, whether it was radio or TV, uh, add something to my resume or my portfolio of work that I didn't have the season before. And so really, I think on paper, you know, a lot of people might think, oh, he, he got a huge break, made this huge leap. But for me, in terms of what I was trying to accomplish, uh, it was more of kind of a stair-stepping journey where each year I added something a, a little bit bigger than maybe I had the year before. You know, I came up in radio and on the on the TV side, uh, 2018, I believe I called my first television style broadcast. It was a stream, an NAIA football game of the week on ESPN3 at that time. And then uh, from there, I, I got some work with Flow Sports in 2019, did some, some relatively high-level men's basketball tournaments that they were streaming, and then uh, did some, some national radio during COVID, added you know, what I would consider more high-level games via uh, Flow Sports during the, the COVID period. And then uh, really the, the big leap would probably be in 2021, I got hired in August, right before football season, to be kind of the the home ESPN Plus voice of Central Arkansas. Living in Kansas, Central Arkansas was about a seven-hour drive. And so during football season, I would drive seven hours on a Friday, call a game on a Saturday, and drive seven hours back home at the time to do Central Arkansas. That carried over into basketball season. And um, I knew that there would be some really good tape there, and there certainly was. And and during that, you know, kind of journey on the TV side, I was picking up fill-in work from Kansas State and uh, some other, you know, D2 schools in the area. Like I said, just trying to add, you know, a new sport here and there or a new team here and there. And then while I was doing uh, Central Arkansas games, Central Arkansas had just joined a, a new league, and so it was... Uh, uh, a new product for them, their their TV stuff. And Central Arkansas, during their get-off-the-ground process, had hired uh, an ESPN consultant who was kind of overseeing what they were doing or at least consulting on on their broadcasts. He had uh, worked for ESPN for 30 years. He was retired. We were at dinner one night, and I kind of jokingly said, hey, maybe you could you know get me a linear game sometime because I knew that he really liked my work. And he said, you know, he said, if I was still there, I probably could. Well, he wasn't still there, but he still had a lot of connections. And he got my name in in front of some emails. And I started what I call polite persistence in terms of trying to get my foot in the door. And um, eventually I did. And so last 
you know, sports season in terms of the the sports calendar year. I did 15 events for ESPN. It started out with with just one, and then that led to you know two more football games, and then they threw me on the FCS playoffs, which was two more. And then I had a full slate of basketball in which I started on ESPN Plus and then ESPN U, and then I got bumped up to ESPN Two, and then my last game was on uh, the Mothership Main ESPN. So I knew that I was doing something right, and that carried over into this off season, and again with more light persistence and putting together reels and trying to make even more connections within that 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 company, I was able to to land a recurring contract. So uh, this season, I know how many events I have at a minimum within the ESPN. Uh, I know for each sport how many I'm supposed to have. And uh, so at least it, it gives me kind of an idea of mapping out what my schedule might look like uh, for football and basketball. And right now I'm doing some volleyball and then who knows in the spring. But that's kind of uh, the Cliff Notes version of of how I got, at least on the TV side, from uh, NAIA to to ESPN. Let's go back to starting at Central Arkansas. If I remember correctly, you were initially hired expecting to just be a fill-in for a week or two, and that ended up turning into uh, they liked your work and had you do the full season. Walk us through the process of how that landed and when you realized that this was going to be a pretty cool opportunity. Yeah, I think I was excited to to fill in on those first couple of games. Um, and then, you know, it, it was shortly thereafter, like you said, where they said, hey, we, we might need you for the rest of football season. And then a couple of days later, it led to, you know, we'd like you to do the the football and basketball. And I think, uh, number one, they had just purchased a brand new set of equipment. So, I mean, they had crystal clear, high-level cameras, the audio equipment was fantastic. The camera operators were very good. The producer and the director were very polished and relatively new at their positions, but very experienced. And um, so it just looked really, really good. And then, you know, on top of that, um, one thing that definitely excited me very early on, you know, really the, the first weekend I was down there doing games uh, was I could just tell that that everybody I worked with, they were just truly uh, genuine, kind, uh, great humans. And so I could tell that there was potential right away for some incredible friendships and relationships. And uh, some of my closest friends even now are, you know, the the inside guys and, and gals at Central Arkansas. So, man, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Like I, I would be driving seven hours, just giddy, you know, listening to music, uh, getting pumped up for a broadcast that was the next day. And, um, they were also, they were also really good about connecting us with, with coaches and having production meetings. And, um, it was, it was a great kind of segue into what I do now with, with ESPN on the linear side. Um, it was just a really well-rounded, uh, operation, a, a well-oiled machine is the old cliche. And, and it truly was. So, um, it was also, I mean, it was really good. It was really good action too. I mean, they're a, a high level FCS football team. They're having a really good season this year. Their basketball games were super exciting. Their volleyball games, they always had really good crowds. And so this uh, kind of smaller D1 school in Conway, Arkansas, you know, I I knew had potential to be a hidden gem. Uh, and it, it certainly turned out to be uh, to be just that. 
And go back to that dinner where you said you were talking to the consultant used to be at ESPN. I'm sure you like to say that everything happens organically, but I've known you for a long time. And for those who are listening, we're friends off of the air and have known each other for a long time, which is why I was able to get you to do this again. But uh, I'm sure from the moment that you kind of knew his history, there was some kind of angle trying to you know, take advantage of the relationship, for lack of a better word. It sounds bad when you kind of say it that way, but, you know, make it beneficial uh, mutually. Was there any planning or, you know, you're getting in this dinner, so like, hey, I'm going to make this uh, make this kind of joke but not really request, or what What went into that? <laughs> yeah, I see where you're, where you're heading with this. Um, I can say with full transparency and honesty that, that no, there really wasn't a plan. And it does sound bad, Logan, when you when you uh, phrase it that way. But uh, I, I, I didn't realize, first of all, I was just excited about the opportunity. I didn't, you know, we had this initial production meeting and there were a dozen people on. I didn't know who was who. I was just worried about going out and and you know, doing a good job to, to hopefully get more events and then, you know, have really good tape. Um, really the gentleman that we're talking about just kind of stumbled into my lap. Um, I, I knew that, you know, I knew that he liked my work through a, a third party because he, he had told the guy that hired me, where'd you find this guy, you know, and, uh, kind of learned more about my story. And then throughout the course of what really started during football season, we all just this, this team of, anywhere from six to 12 people on a weekly basis just got really close uh, to make the broadcast, you know, the best that we could now at ESPN, you know, there's different packagers that are hired out for different events. So sure. There's packagers and producers and directors that I've worked with before. And uh, I'm sure we'll work with again in the future, but in terms of having the same crew um, from producer to talent every week is, is pretty rare. So we all got really close and uh, so the relationship just kind of developed. And e even at that dinner, uh, I still was you know, naive and didn't really understand just how much pull and how much of an impact uh, this guy had had at ESPN during his 30 years. I knew that he worked there for a long time, but man, I, coming up in radio, it took me a while to figure out who's who on the TV side. How much pull does a producer have or a director or, uh, you know, the guys going, doing the, the, the really hard work behind the scenes. I didn't understand any of it. So um, everybody has a different story and everybody catches a break. And I tell, uh, I tell this guy who's a good friend. Now uh, we, we talk on the phone, you know, probably uh, uh, every few months and every single time I remind him that he was my break and that, you know, um, he is uh, really the big reason why I've, I was able to open doors that I know I couldn't on my own. So it's one of those cases where you hear about the overnight success, for lack of a better word, but you don't know of all the Bethany College games, all the stuff that leads up to the eventual success. And I know you did a lot of stuff. I know you hooked up with kind of private coaching. I know that made a big difference for you. So what is the what was the process of finding and selecting someone in that role and what impact did it have? I would say just to to circle back real quick on 
on uh, talking about NAIA and driving through the middle of the night to to call games that you know are are smaller schools. That that's kind of how everybody cuts their teeth. And uh, man, I just I did some crazy stuff I, to 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 get TV reps. I can remember, you know, I knew how great of an opportunity the flow sports stuff would be. The first tournament I did for them in 2019 was uh, some preseason exhibition basketball games, but it was power five schools. And so I knew there was potential, you know, that would jump off a, a tape, I would think. And so I drove 10 hours to Austin, Texas uh, on a, on a, like a Tuesday, did a couple of games on a Wednesday and then drove back uh, 10 hours back home. And then I, I did that several times actually over the course of a, a couple of months. Um, and so it's, you know, times like that, that I think, man, that was, that was totally worth it. And I remember at the time thinking, is this just crazy? But, uh, I was just so excited to, to have those opportunities. And when I got the central Arkansas job, I emailed every school that might have an ESPN plus broadcast within an eight hour radius um, drive time and central Arkansas was seven. So they just, you know, they just made the cut. And so I think, I think there are sacrifices that have to be made to get really good tape. At least there was, you know, then, uh, there are a lot of schools that are producing in-house broadcasts that, that weren't, you know, even two, three, five years ago. So I think there's more opportunities now, but at the time, uh, I was ready to, to, uh, to risk it all, I should say. So, in terms of uh, in terms of coaching, I, I connected with uh, two talent coaches through an agent. I had sent some tape out to a couple of agents, not realizing just how bad I was at the time on 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 TV. That was after one season of NAIA stuff, and one of them uh, said, "Hey, you know, we've got a long way to go, but." Here's a couple of talent coaches that might be able to help you. I didn't even know talent coaches existed uh, at the time. And so I started with one and kind of graduated from his program and then joined another once I started getting regular work um, because she likes to, to meet with her clients on a weekly basis. And they paid huge dividends. Um, it was, uh, I owe both of them a, a lot of, um, a lot for just getting better on, on the air. Um, and then I, I worked with a voice coach as well. Same thing uh, was was told by a couple of high level guys that had reviewed my work that hey we can hear you know your voice has a lot of potential but in terms of your delivery and your tone and your pitch and how you kind of rein all that in here's somebody that that I would recommend. So I've worked with two talent coaches and one voice coach, and I still, on a weekly basis, review notes and go through the tongue twisters and the breathing exercises leading up to every game. I look like a crazy person in the booth prior to kickoff, but uh, it truly does help. So there were obviously financial sacrifices, and I don't know if sacrifices is the right word. There's Investment. a financial aspect of it that uh, um, that that totally paid off. Um, so, you know, I still review notes from both talent coaches and, uh, do that on a weekly basis leading up to a broadcast. And then I go back and I watch tape and I can look and, and see that, you know, I didn't, you know, I regressed in one area, but maybe progressed in another. Um, so I, I do a lot of that internally now. And, uh, like I said, there's, there's, 
the transition from radio to TV was very challenging for me because my strength as a radio play-by-play announcer was calling the action in terms of description and being incredibly detailed. And on the TV side, that completely goes out the window. It's all about timing and setting up your analyst and uh, kind of being the puppet master on the air. So it's a completely different mindset. And so it took me a while to make the transition. um, But I think I've, I've finally been able to nail it to, to a certain degree. So what did you work on specifically and what, what is the process of working with a broadcast talent coach? Are you talking on zoom, watching tape together and say, go and work on these things on YouTube games before your next actual game? Like what is the what do they actually do, and then what do you do off of those discussions? So the first talent coach that I worked with, I, I was so raw. Huh. I always bring up Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights when he says, I, I don't know what to do with my hands, because that was me on camera. I had never been on camera before. I didn't know what to do with my hands. Uh, I, I sounded like a robot because I was trying so hard to remember whatever I had written down for that 30-second that open. So the first talent coach I went to, uh, we worked a lot on on being on camera and uh, everything is done, you know, via Zoom or, you know, Microsoft Teams or whatever uh, your preferred video chat is. But we started with on camera work and he would give me exercises. I still have them in my phone, these little 20, 30 second clips of me setting the phone on top of a TV stand and and, and practicing. Um and then the the second talent coach that I worked with, the one where we did sessions on a weekly basis, yes, we would review tape and I would mark things that she told me that she wanted to see during a broadcast. And then uh, we would talk about it and, and go over it. And, um, you know, I was still really raw even when I got to that point with her. And so we talked about calling the action on TV. And then we talked about, you know, when the, the timing of working with an analyst and still, still discussed, you know, how to be better on camera, but it's, it's kind of a culmination of everything that you mentioned. Yes. You're reviewing your own work and you're marking things. And then you're looking at those specific clips or moments in a game with your talent coach, or they're skipping around during your session and just kind of watching a couple of minutes at a time and pointing things out. So there, there's, there's a lot of different, a lot of different uh, moving parts when it comes to that. But uh, I have a notebook, you know, full of stuff from each each session that that we would go over. Um, but I, like I said, I was so new to it all that they really, with me, had to start from the ground floor. And how do you not look so stiff on camera? You know, let's start there, and then let's talk about using less words while you're calling the action and when to set up your analysts so that they're not talking through a big play and uh, things of that nature. What did they tell you about the potential that they saw from you early on when they were still polishing the uh, uncut gem, so to speak? I think the potential came from my my radio play-by-play. I don't keep account of how many games I've done, but I've done a lot more play-by-play on radio than I have on television. And so I think that just from my actual, you know, calling the action on radio, 
and hearing that, you know, okay, this guy's pretty good at play-by-play, even on the TV side, but he still sounds like he's calling a game on radio. Uh, I think that that, that is, is probably what I would think led them to believing that I had potential in terms of, you know, I could nail a big call. I just needed to cut out some words. And one exercise that that when I'm critiquing others, if I think that a play-by-play person is too wordy, that I will do for them to give them some examples. And something that I did uh, a lot during my sessions is I would go back and transcribe my TV play-by-play calls. Then I would see it on paper and I could see just how long-winded it was. And I would go through and I would edit it and I would cut out words. And then I would practice that call again using uh using those those lesser words and that helped me a ton just being able to visualize it and then practice it and uh that was really a game changer for me in terms of of and and the guys that I critique you know they like that too because it's you know you can see it you can see man I am using a lot of words you don't necessarily catch it in the moment but when you go back and you see it on paper Uh, It's really easy to see that there's just too much there. And then the other thing that when you use too many words, you're too wordy on a TV call, there's no way you can stay on top of the action. And in radio, it's okay to be a beat or two or three behind the action as you kind of call the game because the, you know, there's, there's nobody that's, that's watching on TV. We can all see it. So in football, I use this example all the time. You know, when a guy is crossing the goal line, you better be on top of it saying touchdown. You know, you can't you can't be talking about where he is on the field or, you know, racing to the end zone when he's already in the end zone and you can on radio. So that's the biggest thing that, you know, in basketball, same type of thing. If you're too wordy on describing a three, by the time you're done, the ball is already through the bottom of the net, whereas on television, you need to be right on top of it as that ball's, you know going through the hoop and coming out of the net, you need to be, you know, describing the action right on top of it because we can all see it. And to do that, the only way to stay um, on schedule is to use less words. Um, It's just simple math. So uh, that helped me as well. Uh, Just, just, you know, seeing that, seeing it on paper and then practicing really staying on top of, on top of the action in, in football, you know, and I always tell my analysts this, in football, as the as the as the players you know, crossing the goal line, I'm saying touchdown. It's like it's like clockwork. I say touchdown, and then I lay out for three Mississippi's, and then I cap it with a nugget. You know, Jones touchdown. In my head, I'm counting one, two, three, and then that's his fourth rushing touchdown of the season. Or if it's a big momentum swinging score, it's you know. Uh, team A goes on top again, or you know they're back on top, or whatever it might be. So, what carries over from your radio experience? Because we talk a lot about the stuff that you have to, you know, kind of remove to go on TV. What carries over that you did well on the radio that you also do well on TV? Yeah, I would say in, in terms of leading up to a broadcast, a lot of the prep is the same. I think on the TV st- side, you're looking more for those those deep um, personal stories, whereas on the radio side, in terms of prep, there's probably 
more focused on knowing every name and number on the roster. Not that that's not important in TV, but it's definitely more important on radio. And then I would say uh, just, you know, calling the action, um, working with an analyst, at least having that background uh, is something that carries over. There's a lot more analyst interaction on the TV side, um, but it, it is similar just in terms of being able to work with somebody and, and you know sound like your friends on the air, regardless of how many games you've had together. Um, but I would still say that it, you know calling the action, if you can do it really well on radio, you know once you kind of figure out how to eliminate some of that you know some of those words and, and get it condensed, can still be super beneficial on TV. Um, you know, one thing that when I was doing radio, it drove me nuts when a play-by-play guy and mostly myself would get repetitive with uh, descriptors and way to desc- ways to, to describe a, a basket being made or missed um, or a, a pass or a, a run in football. And so even on TV, that's carried over where, you know, I, I have a chart that I look at pretty regularly during the course of the week, not so much on game day or actually, you know, while I'm calling the action, but um, of different ways to say different things because I, I hate sounding repetitive. It just drives me nuts. There's a million different ways to say pass or uh, if there's a big run, there's a million different things you can use. Um, same thing for basketball. There's a billion different ways to say if a shot is made or missed, um, even on TV when you're not as descriptive. So I would say that aspect of it in terms of calling the action, using different words, although not as many, using different words and having variety in your vocabulary when calling the action is something that uh, that I definitely uh, make a note of. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You talked about having you know, the high production value from Central Arkansas with all the new equipment and directors and producers. How important is it when you're sending into a tape to a decision maker to have that versus, you know, if you don't have it, your call may be great, but if the camera guy misses the touchdown, uh, then it's not your fault. I guess how important is that production value uh, to find a way to get it somehow by hook or by crook? Yeah, for me personally, it doesn't matter. Like when I'm evaluating play by play, I can tell if a guy or a gal is is uh, talented based off of their call more so than than the the product of the production value. With that said, I've talked to you know employers over the years that do say that it while it does you know it's not a it's not a deal breaker by any means. It does help. I just think that. When you look at tape and you see the teams and you see the score bug and you see the crystal clear picture that, you know, for me, the thing that excited me about Central Arkansas is I knew the production value would be so good that in terms of you know me being attractive to potential employers, I felt like, you know, there was maybe a little more room for error because everything else was was so good. And as a play by play person on TV, um, you're not the star. You know, the analyst is the star. The picture is the star. You're just there to kind of pull the strings and um, uh, carry the broadcast in that regard rather than actually being the main guy. So uh, to answer your question, 
I don't think it matters a ton. I think it helps, but I, I don't think it would be a deal breaker by any means for anybody. Now I want to dive into some of the, the voice coaching a little bit, because as you come up, I know a lot of kind of mentors always used to tell me, it doesn't really matter what you sound like, just focus on saying the right things. And I think that that works to a point. And I know back when I was still actively kind of pursuing agents and reaching out to decision makers, that I, I think that's a huge differentiator at that top level. How much, let's start there, how much does voice matter when trying to kind of make that jump from a pretty good position calling NAIA college and uh, managing a station to kind of reaching that network level? I think it, it matters a lot. Um, the guys that are doing high-level play-by-play, if you look at the guys that have a full workload on ESPN or you know CBS or the, ma- you know, the major networks, those guys all have phenomenal voices. Now, with that said, I do think that there are you know, probably broadcasters that, that have a good voice, but maybe they're not maximizing their potential in terms of how to use their voice. And working with a voice coach and talking with a lot of high-level guys and, and uh, um, potential employers, that was something that stood out to me was, you know, it's really how you use your voice. So um, I think that there, there's a lot of things, and this is a, another thing that I learned with, with voice coaching. There are um, a lot of little things that, you know, the average viewer or listener on radio wouldn't catch. They would just think, wow, this, you know, this person's just an easy listen. Um, whereas I can tell after going through the, the program that I went through that, man, these guys really know how to use their voice. And, um, uh, that, that, that was eye opening to me. So I, I think it's more how you use your voice in terms of, you know, what we're all born with, with our, our natural voice. What were the aspects you were told you needed to improve? What was the biggest thing you had to work on? Me specifically, <laughs> Uh, I have really bad allergies. I get super congested, especially um, in the fall and in the spring when the seasons are changing. So for me, it was, you know, how do we minimize the, the nasally sound? And then I, you know, I would get a little too high pitched on, on a lot of my big climax calls. And then I also would sound a little sing songy is what I was told in terms of uh, a, a big play and kind of getting to that getting to that big action call. So for me personally, it was those two or three things that really stood out when uh, when we met and got started. How were you able to kind of solve those problems? Uh, through through exercises, um, breathing exercises, um, trying to you know a, a lot of uh, the diaphragm is obviously important, but we, you know, we're not opera singers. We're, we're doing play by play. And so breath support and your lung capacity is also very important. And that's something that, uh, that I remember very well from going through that voice coaching program, uh, throughout the course of the summer. So, you know, my ends and my M's, I do some pretty weird exercises to work on those, uh, to make sure that those, you know, don't sound too, too nasally. Um, and then I, I can even, you know, I can go back and 
watch games and hear a big climax call where, man, I just got too high, too high pitch there. You know, it's there, there's, you can be excited and you can, you can put all of your effort into a, a big call without actually going up and, and going too high in terms of your call. Um, you can make it sound really good by projecting out instead of projecting up. And that's something that I, that I still work on regularly because a lot of times our, you know, our natural reaction is to go up when we get really excited for, for a big call. Yeah, I know. I always tell the people kind of on our staff that a big play just because you're screaming doesn't mean that it's uh, and everyone else is too doesn't make it a good call. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and like I said, you know, you can still you can still sound really excited about a big play, and you're projecting your voice out, and it's deeper, and it's it's you know, got more bass to it, and People can still hear the excitement in your voice without, like you said, getting too high pitched and and screaming at your viewers. So if you were going to and this is not an advertisement for uh, voice coaching and <laughs> broadcast coaching, I promise it's just uh, you're the only person who's kind of talked with me off the air kind of about the process and how it all worked. At what point in someone's career does the investment in these type of um, these type of improvements become worth it because you know you don't need them you know when you're right out of school necessarily or if you don't have the budget for it when do you would you suggest investigating this type of investment yeah i would say when you get to the point where you have regular work you know i had a talent coach that i had spoken with and you know she brought up a great point she said yeah we could work together and you know, do some sessions, but when you're waiting months before your next broadcast, you know, how are you going to get better? So I would say it's kind of, it's like golf, you know, you can't get better at golf unless you're playing on a regular basis. You can't get better, you know, through talent coaching and voice coaching until you're getting regular reps. And so almost on a weekly basis, uh, you should be able to go out and practice, you know, what, uh, uh, what you've learned from your last session. So for me, once I started getting regular work, just about every other week um, or every week during football season had almost a full slate of basketball games where I, I looked at the calendar and thought, okay, I've, I've got a lot of events now. That's when uh, I really hunkered down and, and got going on, uh, on the coaching. Moving to another voice centric topic. I know you do a lot of voiceover work on Fiverr um, at le- and other kind of freelance networks i believe you were pretty successful with that tell us how you got into that and uh kind of how it progressed sure yeah i i put uh i put a demo on some some freelancing websites you know my full-time job is still in radio and uh i record a lot of commercials and i do a local show and and um still do a lot on air on the radio side and uh, I had a friend that connected me with uh, some of these websites that I didn't know anything about. And it's been a long process to really gain momentum. And it comes and it goes, but um, it is a, a regular side hustle for me. And I really enjoy it because I get to practice. You know, I get to practice using my voice. I learn a lot about all these random topics from all over the world because it's, you know, it's 
uh, worldwide and a lot of my clients are international that that you know have heavy accents or don't speak english so um yeah it's it's been great practice for improving my voice and my delivery it's something that uh has been super beneficial for me in a, in a lot of ways but i started that in 2019 it's taken you know it took 3 or 4 years to really start to to gain some steam um but it's it's like i said it's something that i absolutely love uh love to do now I know I dabbled in with that a little bit, and I know I've talked to people about it. I don't think people understand the level of time that it takes to kind of market yourself and reach out to people and build that following on the freelance networks to justify getting the algorithm to show you on the top 10 so that it starts to become self-sustaining. Yeah, it just it takes a lot of time, and um, I'm not great at marketing myself by any means, but I've been able to build up a pretty steady base of clientele. And a lot of those online platforms are algorithm based. And so, you know, they're looking at response time, how quick do you deliver your orders? How many revisions do you get? And so I, you know, I had these apps on my phone and I I get notifications. And as soon as I get a notification, I'm responding right away even if it's just to, to kind of introduce myself or ask about their project. So these, these apps are open on my phone all the time to show that I'm online. And um, it, it is, I don't want to say a headache, but it can be, you have to be alert in terms of uh, responding to clients in that way. But um, like I said, it's, it's something that I love. You know, I usually spend a couple of hours a day at some point throughout the course of a day. Uh, working on on projects and I learn a lot and it's great practice and then it's a, a nice little side hustle as well. What is the weirdest project you've ever been pitched? Because I know that when I kind of dabbled in this, as I said, for a few years, there was a lot of oddities. What are some of the strange jobs you've done? Whew. Um, <laughs> well, I have several that are not safe for work, but um, <laughs> to the, the ones that like I get some weird stuff just in terms of, you know, this probably is safe for work. I had a couple of lines about like peanut butter covered something. I don't remember, but it was, I think it was feet or like something really weird. And, uh, I did it. And then, uh, gosh, you know, some of the, some of the scripts I'm trying to think because I do so many a day that they all kind of, they're kind of a blur, but I guess I'll tell you some of my favorites. You know, I, I voice a, a Tesla fan page on YouTube. So I can tell you a lot about Tesla and uh, (laughs) what's going on behind the scenes there. And then a lot of, uh, a lot of YouTube videos, you know, I have regular clientele that are radio ads or TV ads where they're using my voiceover uh, or my voice for the voiceover on that. But in terms of of weirdness, yeah, I can think of a couple that are, like I said, not safe for work that I'll uh, <laughs> that I can share with you off the air. I had one that I didn't realize right away, but probably three or four. It was a repeat business type of thing, and three or four times into it, I realized that these are one of these people who are sending out these robocall scams, and so I quit doing it. But which sucked because they paid pretty well. But it was clearly that they're like, you know, just answer your phone and call this number and be part of cash squares where everybody puts in. And it became abundantly clear after one or two times that this was a scam 
kind yeah, of preying yeah, I, on I've elderly a couple of those and did the same thing um i just didn't feel right <laughs> recording something like that it, it is interesting like there's a lot of you know there's there's a lot of trends in terms of people trying to get rich quick and crypto when crypto was booming i felt like probably <laughs> two out of every three orders was something about crypto you know whether it was a, a YouTube video or somebody trying to sell crypto or somebody had just launched the newest coin. Um, I had a lot of crypto scripts. So right now it's pretty slow. I can't really think of a, a big topic that's pretty consistent. But I remember the the crypto boom was just, uh, it was wild. Everything was crypto. And I thought, man, do I need to start investing in crypto? <laughs> it, it's kind of fun to watch, you know, how things, things, uh, trend trend in, in waves have you had to change your time management uh, philosophies to be able to still you know work at the radio station and do these games all over uh, the country and do voiceover work and i'm sure that's probably what goes first but i just have to imagine you're extremely busy yeah <laughs> um you know, blending the the work life and the personal life, uh, I basically tell people I live out of a suitcase right now. Definitely during the the sports season. So, yeah, I, I keep an old school Microsoft Excel, which I've transferred to a Google Doc. I'm at least I'm at least on that now that I that I write everything down. Um, I don't use my phone as a calendar or a Google calendar. I'm old school. I have a big Excel calendar where I just write everything down and. Take it day by day, but with the the ESPN travel, um, you know, usually we're you know we're usually flying in the day before the game, doing the game, and then flying out the day after. And uh, uh, I have not had I've had one football game this season that I didn't have to fly to, and then I've had volleyball on top of that, which I'm also flying to. So um, it's been a lot of uh, miles in the sky, but man, I love it. You know, even just the, the travel, it's all part of the experience. And, um, I, I always tell people that, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge sports nerd at heart. Um, but I am more obsessed with and addicted to, uh, and in love with the art of broadcasting, the art of sports casting, whether it's radio or TV, all the moving parts, everything behind the scenes, it's just a, it's a symphony of, of stuff that, that puts out the product that people listen to and, and watch. And, uh, you know, I enjoy meeting players and coaches and fans and traveling to new cities and uh, all of the, the stuff outside of just being a huge sports nerd. I've actually grown to appreciate and be most grateful for. Um, I just, like I said, I love the art of it. I love, um, you know, going back and reviewing tape and thinking about things that could have made, you know, it better for the viewer or the listener, uh, just as much as I do diving into stats and all the nerdy stuff that we do as, as sports fanatics. Tell us as a person from Kansas, where they certainly have some inclement weather to deal with, but you were telling me before we went on air about uh, driving through your first hurricane on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was sent to East Carolina. Um, it was uh, when you know that the big hurricane was rolling through. 
I saw rain at an angle I have never seen in my life. And it was terrifying. A lot of these college towns, you know, aren't super easy to get to. So it's interesting. We get our assignments and a lot of it is mapping out our travel. Okay. Which airport do I fly into? How am I going to get here? That same weekend, Logan, I had, so I had a football game in Greenville, North Carolina, and then I was traveling site to site to do volleyball on a Sunday. I had a football game on a Saturday night at East Carolina. Then I had a volleyball match on Sunday at noon Eastern in Blacksburg, Virginia at Virginia Tech. And um, so I got off the air. Uh, luckily, the hurricane had passed for the most part. It was soggy, but it wasn't uh, those howling winds and rains throughout the state of North Carolina and Virginia. And after the football game, I drove two and a half hours, got in at like 1 a.m. to a hotel that was about halfway and then drove the rest in the morning to get to the volleyball match. So the the behind the scenes travel stuff, and it's not just me, it's everybody. It is it is wild. There's not a lot of notice when it comes to especially football because everything's flexed and there are last minute changes. And um, fortunately, ESPN is incredible about assisting when it comes to booking travel and making sure that we all get to uh, to our respective destinations one way or another. What other kind of challenging travel situations have you ran into? Oh, man, this year, that would probably be the biggest. You know, last season, I missed a connecting flight during basketball. That was chaotic. Um, you know, this season, I had one connecting flight that I almost missed. But for the most part, um, I can fly direct and... Uh, uh, so I, I haven't really had any crazy stories other than, you know, driving through that hurricane from Raleigh, North Carolina to Greenville the day that, you know, that I got in late the night before the game, it was dark. It was, uh, it was scary, but outside, you know, I've had, um, trying to think back to last basketball season, I had an analyst that, get, that got caught up when, uh, I think it was Southwest whose like entire computer system shut down and everything just froze in the world. He got stuck in Detroit and he got into, we had a game at West Virginia, a basketball game. He got in to Pittsburgh and drove down and and he got, he walked in the gym 45 minutes before tip off. <laughs> and you have to keep in mind, we're rehearsing usually 30 minutes to an hour out. We are uh, expected to be on site at least two or three hours before kick or tip, depending upon the packager. And so 45 minutes was cutting it close, uh, but he made it and we got on the air and uh, the people watching wouldn't have known otherwise. So you mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, your goal is always each year to add that one thing. What is the one thing you're trying to add kind of this year for the future? Well, for this season, um, I've accomplished what I was, what, what my goal was in terms of my body of work with ESPN. I know how many football games uh, that I'm scheduled for. I know how many volleyball, and then I know how many basketball. So in terms of of this year, um, I've kind of hit that goal. I would say for next year, it would be to take the next step in terms of number of events. And then, you know, I'm mostly on for football right now, the ESPN plus broadcasts that are linear with the American conference and the big 12. And so I would say the next step would be regularly on ESPN U or ESPN two for football. And then, uh, during basketball, you know, to continue to be on 
those platforms, U2 uh, and, and the main ESPN. Yeah, that would be that would be kind of where I'm at right now with football and volleyball season. You know, basically running simultaneously. It's just a it's a whirlwind on a week to week basis. So I haven't had a lot of time to think about that, but I know that after the season, I certainly will. But right now, I'm just trying to get better on a on a weekly basis. Is to sound a little bit better each. Saturday or Thursday or whatever night I have a game than I did the week before. And uh, I would say that so far through football season, I've been able to do that, even with lightning delays and um, quick turnarounds. And you know, college football has been pretty wild this year in terms of just all the, the delays that, that there have been uh, all across the country. Now, I think hurricane season is is behind us, knock on wood. But back in September, I mean, I think there was one Saturday where you know, the entire East Coast, just about every every home site was in some type of a delay as those storms were rolling through. So it's been it's it's been wild so far for sure. What did you do during your specific long delay? Did you if it's on ESPN, do they kind of cut away to other content? Do you have to fill a lot of that time on your own? What's the what's the process at that level? Well, yeah, we, we were on ESPN Plus, and so um, we cut away, and then they had a graphic up that, that said, you're watching ESPN Plus, we're in a weather delay, and then we would pop on every once in a while to give an update. There's a lot of, there, there are studio segments that are canned that can be played uh, during delays uh, at the, uh, on, you know, on the other ESPN stations, or, you know, if it's, Main ESPN, a lot of that's done live from the studio. But for our broadcast specifically, we had a graphic and then post on Instagram from that game. You know, I try to post after every game uh, just a couple of snapshot pictures. And you can see what I'm doing during the 90-minute delay. I'm sitting. I'm sitting watching a game on the TV that's in our booth. I think it was Alabama-USF was the, the, the game that we had on. And then I think it was... I think it was Kentucky, Florida, if I remember right after. But my analyst and I and everybody else in the booth, we just sat and we watched. Uh, we watched football and waited for an update on <laughs> when our game would get get going again. All right. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do so? Yeah. Uh, my social media, Twitter or X, um, Instagram, everything is just my first and last name, James Wesling. My email is jameswesling at gmail.com. I'm pretty responsive. So uh, send me a message or uh, drop me an email note, and I'd be happy to look at tape or uh, just connect with anybody that wanted to. Well, once again, James, thanks so much for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast for a second time. Appreciate it, Logan. Always fun. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you prefer by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. You can also follow us on Twitter slash X by looking up radio underscore Logan. We always love honest feedback, including Apple Podcast reviews, which help us make the show better. And you know what? It helps me build my ego a little bit as a host. So that seems worthwhile to me personally anyway. Last but not least, please reach out to our guests and let them know how much you appreciate them coming on the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson. And the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more. Hey, thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. 
My name is Matt Kundal, and if you enjoyed Logan's show, you might like my show, The Sound Off Podcast. It's the podcast about broadcast, and we interview people behind the microphones in radio, television, and voiceover, as well as the newer forms of media like podcasting and video streaming. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at soundoffpodcast.com.